looking at Mary's song and we're continuing that theme of songs for Christmas. Um, and I've sweated over this one because it is quite a familiar passage. Uh, and it's certainly, um, it's called the Magnificat and it's said in all sorts of different churches throughout the world. Um, and it's sort of one of the uh, finest examples of praise that you might find in the Bible. Um, what did we learn last week? Well, last week we learned about Elizabeth, the cousin of Mary, and we learned that the angel Gabriel had come to her and said that she was going to have a child, uh, and that child was going to be the forerunner of Christ, and she was to call him John, and he was going to proclaim the way of the Lord. Have a root in my coat. Uh, <laughs> best laid plans. Um, yeah, so this this child, John the Baptist, was going to proclaim the way of the Lord. He was going to make straight the path uh, for Jesus to come. And we learn that the same angel visited Mary, saying that she too would be with child, but this child was not to be fathered by a man, but rather by God himself. Now, Elizabeth was old and Mary was young. The former was wealthy and the latter was poor. But both were visited by an angel. Both miraculously fell pregnant. One was to give birth to a messenger and the other was to give birth to the message. Mary's child was going to be the Messiah, the saviour of the world. And Mary's initial response in verse 34 is this. How can this be so? For I am a virgin. So the angel Gabriel directs uh, Mary towards Elizabeth. And she travels about 70 miles to Elizabeth's home. And she receives three confirmations, if you remember. The first she receives is a personal confirmation that conception miracles do happen. Elizabeth was past childbearing age, and yet she was clearly pregnant. The second was a physical confirmation. When the then pre-born John, John the Baptist, came into the presence of the pre-born Jesus Christ, John leaps in his mother's womb. And Elizabeth says in verse 42, Blessed are you, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favoured that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Now it's interesting because in these words, Elizabeth is the first person in the New Testament to recognise that Jesus is Lord and God. The very first person, even before Jesus was born. The final confirmation that Mary received when she visited Elizabeth was a prophetic one. Elizabeth speaks with knowledge. Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit and she knows miraculously that Mary is pregnant. Next slide, please. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure this is a common experience for most of us. For all of us, maybe. 
that sometime over the next few weeks, it may have already happened, you're going to get a warm tingle. You're going to get a little bit of a, a warm fuzziness. You're going to get excited and you're going to get infused because Christmas is coming. Every year at the beginning of December, I wait patiently for that warm tingle to come, that Christmasiness to descend on me. History tells me that anything might trigger it. I don't know when it's going to come, but I respond to sort of the stimuli that's around me at Christmas, so like the smell of cinnamon or pine from a Christmas tree or Bono screaming on the radio, feed the world. I haven't heard that yet. The nerd knows in me that if all else fails, the Royal Institute Christmas Lectures is going to do it. And it's going to give me that warm, fuzzy feeling. Well, this year, probably like many parents, that Christmas tingle has come and has been delivered to me through my child, Nicole. Next Friday, I'm going to a, a first nativity play at primary school, and Nicole has a job to do. She's to stand there, dressed up as an angel, and look cute, <laughs> which I'm sure won't be difficult. And she's also got to sing a song. Now, this song's been sung to death over the past three weeks around our household, um, and she's been practicing it, but it's cute, and it's warm. And it's fuzzy. And for me, it's my Christmas memory 2017. And it goes a little bit like this. A beautiful angel came to the hill. Came to the hill. Came to the hill. A beautiful angel came to the hill. One starry night. I failed on the cuteness, didn't I? <laughs> Just a bit of tinsel and wings, okay. It goes on, it goes on like that. Now I share this with you as a little side point to the passage today because Mary's song is... Yay! One fuzzy Christmas picture. <laughs> Slightly out of focus. I share with, it, share with you this story because Mary's song is saturated with scripture from the Old Testament and it's clear that she grew up knowing the scriptures and biblical truth. So when this teenager receives the news that she will give birth to the Messiah, it's no surprise that what comes out of her mouth is what went in through her ears as she grew up. What I've realised is that if you want your teenagers or our teenagers to be children who sing biblical praises to God, then we need to invest in them when they're little. And so I'm thankful that Nicole's school still teaches Christmas and that for the songs on her lips, she has brought me my first taste of Christmas joy this year. Okay, well, less of me. Enough of the background and enough of the context. Let's look at the passage. And I want to draw your attention to three things this morning that I've been reflecting on as I prepared this talk. It's helpful, if it is helpful, and you're taking notes, I've bullet-pointed them all. Um, so my subheadings are this. that 
Firstly, Mary is our example. She's our example worshipper. My second subheading is that there is a biblical pattern. And the third one is the fulfillment of things. What I hope by the end of this talk uh, this morning is that you'll all have a greater understanding of the nature and character of Mary, but also that you'll appreciate this song and why it's referred to as one of the finest pieces of worship. So my first heading, Mary, our example. Mary receives three confirmations from Gabriel. And then she goes to Elizabeth. Sorry, Mary, Mary receives three confirmations from Elizabeth from the message that Gabriel gave her. And she, as spontaneous as Elizabeth, breaks into praise. And how she worships is really interesting. Because she's one who worships in spirit and in truth. Verse 46 says, My soul magnifies the Lord, my spirit rejoices in God, my Saviour. When Mary opens her mouth, what comes out is not an artificially induced feeling, such as those Christmas feelings that I was talking about a moment ago. Rather, what comes out of her mouth are words from the very depth of her being, from the deepest riches of her being she sings from. Her soul, her spirit cannot but help but swell. And that's what the word magnify means. It means to intensify God's glory. This deep joy overflowing, coming to the surface. It's not a shallow joy that's provoked by artificial things. It's a snapshot of what Mary really feels like on the inside. And what Mary's doing is she's glorifying. God and her Saviour. Now I'm a Christian who's occasionally prone to bouts of melancholy. Sometimes my joy is buried dead deep. You might know other Christians who's why are you laughing, Steph? <laughs> you might know other Christians who have lived maybe the whole Christian experience with their joy being buried so deep that it never bubbles up and comes to the surface. But what I want to say is that joy is a wonderful gift. And it's a gift that all Christians receive when they become born again. It's something every believer is given. It's a resource for when we're in times that are pleasant, thanks be to God. But it's also a resource for when we're in difficult times. We can draw upon it. And Mary, given the prospect of being a teenage mother and bearing a child out of wedlock, she doesn't feel any sense of despair, but instead her soul magnifies the Lord. It's a joy to her. And that's one reason why Mary is an example to us, an example worshipper. And my hope this Christmas season is that however easy or hard it may be for you, is that you find and hold on to the joy of your own salvation, just as Mary did. 
Now Mary demonstrates next that she knows exactly who she is, verse 48, for he has looked on the, the humble estate of his servant. She describes herself as being poor. Unlike Elizabeth, who came from a priestly and middle-class household, Mary describes her humble estate, her poverty and her loneliness. She's under no sort of delusions of grandeur, even though she was chosen to be the mother of our Lord. Which is why she's not only an example of an authentic worshipper, but she's an example of one who demonstrates the utmost of humility. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. And she is uniquely and singularly blessed in this manner. No other woman was chosen. Even Gabriel recognises that she is highly favoured in verse 28 by the Lord. Yet Mary doesn't signpost any of the reasons for this to herself. She doesn't say, look how wonderful I am, for the Lord has decided to make me the mother of his son. She simply and humbly recognises that God has blessed her. Verse 49 for he who is mighty has done great things to me, and holy is his name. This knowledge of herself, I think, is God-given. Because it's only when God reveals to us how little we are, it's only when God reveals to us how blind we are, or how hungry, or how poor we are in spirit, that we can truly appreciate how great God is, and how holy he is. Especially in the things he's done for us. Verse 53, he has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. If we thought we knew everything, if we thought that we were great people, that we were rich in life, we'd never come to know Jesus. And there is a biblical pattern here for all who are called the Lord's own. God seeks the lost. And it takes humility to recognise that. It takes humility to recognise that we need him. And our example, Mary knows who she is, and therefore she knows who he is. She has a healthy fear for him, and that's a difficult word for us to palate today. But it's an appropriate one. It's a fear that's born out of the knowledge of God's greatness. It's a deep and profound respect, a submitting to him, a reverence for him. Verse 50, for his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. So my second point is this, that in this song we have certain biblical patterns and it's this theme of who God has mercy upon, who God is for, and what God is against. And we find this pattern approached by God to humankind all the way through the Bible. Verse 51 says, He has shown strength of his arm and has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. God detests human pride. 
And where the proud walk over the humble, God acts to exalt the humble and scatter the proud. Here's a couple of examples. When Pharaoh refuses to let the downtrodden Israelites out of captivity, Pharaoh says this, he says, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? That's Exodus 5. So what does God do? He exalts the humble. And calamity falls on Egypt. And those that are weak are set free and made strong. Another example in the story of Daniel. Daniel's an individual that's held in captivity. He's of a despised and of a broken people. And he's under the grip of some megalomaniac king, Nebuchadnezzar. But God raises Daniel up to be one of the most powerful men in the whole of the Babylonian Empire. And for a time, Nebuchadnezzar is brought down, so much so that he wanders the wilderness for a while, eating uh, wild grass like a wild animal, until he fears the Lord and is humbled. You see, the proud don't know that they're hungry. The proud don't know that they're blind. It's only the humble or those that have been humbled that get this perspective. And with that insight, doors of salvation are slung open to us. It's interesting because it's actually in a very act of humility that God chooses and uses to save us for himself. It is the pattern of things, even in God's redemptive plan through Jesus. The Apostle Paul, like Elizabeth, like Mary, breaks into praise in Philippians chapter 2, telling us, Have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, even death on a cross. And the crown that God gave Jesus because of this humility, verse 9 goes on, says, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name above all the names. God exalts the humble and he rejects the proud. The proud. So my final uh, heading, and that's the fulfilment. Now Mary, she steeped since childhood, I suspect, in messianic prophecies and the promises uh, that God had made. And she begins to recall these promises, and she begins to sort of remember God's redemptive plan, how he's always been faithful to Israel and to his word. And all the way through scripture, we have clues as to what God is going to do. Some of these clues are quite overt. Some of these clues are quite curious. And some of these clues are just a mystery. But now Mary sees all these strands coming together. It's all beginning to make sense. All the things that she's read and all the things that she's heard. Like some murder mystery novel whose clues have been revealed and are now being resolved. In verse 54, Mary says, He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. Mary longs to see the promises of God 
come true, to be fulfilled, to see what is described as the consolation of Israel. What I mean by that is to see God put an end to Israel's suffering. And this resonates with a man called Simeon uh, in Luke chapter 2, going on a, a couple of years, no doubt, in verse 25. Simeon's described as a righteous and a devout man, full of the Holy Spirit, eagerly longing for the day when God's solution would come. And when his eyes fall upon the infant Jesus in the temple, like Elizabeth, he immediately recognizes his Lord and Savior. And he says this, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. God first reveals his plan for redemption, as Mary points out, through the promises that he made to the forefather of the whole Jewish people, and that was Abraham. God made a covenant with Abraham that he was going to be their God and they were going to be his people. Even though Abraham and his wife were beyond childbearing age, another conception miracle happens. In faith, Abraham believed what God said he was going to do. God promised that he was going to give them, give him a people, a descendant, as numerous as the sands. God promised him a land that would flow with milk and honey. But he also promised that one day, through one of his offspring, all people will be blessed. And in Mary's womb dwells that offspring of Abraham. That final promise of God being fulfilled. Not just for the glory of the people of Israel, but also to be a light to the Gentiles. Simply put, that means that Christmas is for everyone. And in faith we can come to him just like Abraham. And God will reckon us as righteous. Shall we pray? Father God, I thank you for uh, these wonderful examples of people that we uh, have been reading about in our scriptures. In particular, we thank you for Mary's example, for the authenticity of her worship and for her humility and character. And may we uh, model ourselves and imitate these things, for we know that they are imitators of you. Lord, we pray for our proud hearts. We pray, Lord, that you'd shine a light upon our hearts where they've become hard. And we ask, Lord, that you'd soften them, that you'd make us humble, so that we'd see you in your greatness, and that we would know your mercy. We thank you for this Christmas season. We pray, Lord, that we don't forget its message, that we don't get trapped in uh, all the artificial things that we've added to Christmas, but that we may praise and glorify you in spirit and in truth. In Jesus' name.
Amen.